Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi, everyone. This is episode 146 of the Traveling Image Makers podcast, and I'm your host, Ugo Che. This is a special episode, and this is also why I'm alone and not with my usual co-host, Ralph Velasco, who will be back as usual next week. And it is special because I re- recorded this episode while on location. I was, uh, during my latest uh, trip to Southeast Asia, I I had the pleasure to visit the beautiful city of Georgetown in Penang, Malaysia. And there I also had another great pleasure of meeting two uh, friends who are also previously guests on this show, Matt Brandon and Pete DeMarco. So we were actually uh, hosted by Matt in his beautiful house and we recorded the episode there. Uh, we also recorded a video version of this episode. So if you go to the blog post that goes together with this, which you will be able to find at ttim.photo slash 146. You will also be able to watch us in video. Unfortunately, uh, and this is a bit embarrassing to confess, I made a little mistake while recording because I used my Fujifilm X-T2 camera and I set it to 4K resolution because I wanted to be able to crop the video later in post and so on. And one thing that I didn't remember is that when the camera is set to 4K, it has a limit, it only records for 30 minutes. So we only get the video for about uh, half of this interview that goes on for about one hour. So you can either watch the video for the first half hour or listen to the audio for the full interview, whatever you you like most. So that's up to you. Okay, so that's uh, really all uh, in terms of an introduction. And without further ado, let me introduce you to my conversation with Matt Brandon and Pete DeMarco. Enjoy. Okay, so this is Hugo, and this is a very special episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. As you can see today, we are on video, unless you're only listening to the audio, of course. And the reason why is because I'm uh, here with two great friends. Uh, let me introduce to you Matt Brandon and Pete DeMarco in no particular order. And if you're watching the video, I'm just here sitting with them. Uh, maybe you want to, to tell us where we are now. Matt, you want well, to we're in my home in Penang, Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. Penang, Malaysia. And uh, uh, this is my first time in Malaysia, my first time in Penang. I came uh, explicitly decided to uh, touch Penang on my trip of Southeast Asia this year uh, because I mean I've got uh, in touch with Matt and Pete for a long time. They both were guests on the podcast previously, so I said, "Well, um, where can I go this year to, to see a little bit more of Asia, which is a part of the world that I love?" So I said, "Let's go to Malaysia." And who's there in Malaysia? Who's there in Penang in particular? And yeah, Matt and Pete. The best guest you ever had. Yeah. Let's go and... uh, And first video guest. Yeah, and meet. So we said, well, since we are here, we're also going to do a little video recording just to to spice uh, things up uh, a little bit. So, yeah, uh, as I said, we're here in Penang. But first, uh, I didn't do a proper introduction of my guests. Uh, Maybe, Matt, you want to tell our... Uh, audience, a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, of course, none of you are Malaysian. <laughs> show, so you're uh, you're here as experts or tourists or or whatever. So, uh, Matt, please introduce yourself sure. and maybe tell us why you decided to to come to Penang. Or all right. So um, I'm Matt, and uh, and I have been uh, living in Malaysia now for 11 years, and um, I'm on the uh, um, second home visa, so I'm a I'm a a, a guest. Um, anyway, and so the uh, I, I picked Malaysia just because I, I wanted my wife and I wanted to live in Asia. We wanted to raise our daughter in Asia. Uh, we were living in India, had lived in India for 13 years, and 
as much as I like India and like to visit India, 13 years was a long time to be there. And, and so we needed a break. We wanted to go to someplace different. Um, and uh, the short version of a long story is we, we basically did a, a bit of a survey of all these different places that we could live and in, in, you know, choices. And Penang kept coming to the top as the top pick because it, um, people speak English here. Um, uh, they're welcoming to foreigners um, and it's uh, centrally located. The weather is, uh, it, in Fahrenheit, it's 85 to 90 degrees, 365 days out of the year. <laughs> it's sunny uh, half the day, rainy the other half. Uh, it's just an amazing climate. Uh, which even the best climate, actually, we were talking, can get a little bit uh, obnoxious after a while. You want four seasons sometimes, right, it's but so hot. yeah, but but it's but it's a great place, and um, and for what I do, uh, especially when I first moved here, I was still doing a lot of uh, of work for nonprofits, and so I was traveling around the area a lot. Now I don't do as much of that, but um, but I lead workshops and and. Uh, to India and other places and, and travel for assignments and it's a, just a nice centrally located place. And you're originally from what part of the US? Uh, I was a military brat so I moved around a lot but uh, I grew up in Alaska and then my, uh, my high school and college years were in Kentucky and then moved to Texas and I called Texas, if there's a home in the US it's Texas. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, I haven't lived in the U.S. for any amount of time in 23 years, something like that. Do you ever go back there? For yeah, oh, go, we go back a lot. Yeah, I'm uh, going back this Christmas. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What about you, Pete? You, you're from Florida originally. Right? No, actually, well, I'm wearing a Knowles shirt only because oh. my brother, this is the, the university in Florida, and um, my brother and mother live down there. Uh, but I'm from Connecticut, yeah. about two and a half hours north of New York City. Yeah. But I moved to Asia in 2007, and I was living in South Korea for 10 years, uh, teaching English at the university over there. And then I quit my job to pursue photography full time, and then I've been kind of traveling around Asia ever since then. Cool. Yeah. And you, you, you love Penang. Yeah, Penang is a really uh, beautiful place, all, pretty much all for the same reasons that Matt said. Um, it's really centrally located. You could travel all around Southeast Asia within one or two hours. You're in you know, Vietnam or Cambodia, Indonesia, Bali, wherever you want to go. So it's just, um, yeah, if, if you're interested in photography, there's just so much uh, yeah. to photograph here. And let's clarify a thing. I mean, we're talking about Penang, but the place we are actually in is called Georgetown. So sort of. Yeah, this is the suburbs of Georgetown. Yeah, the suburb of Georgetown. I mean, Georgetown is, is the the main city. Right. The mm -hmm. capital Penang mm -hmm. is a is a state, and it's also an island. So right. uh, half. Half. People half don't realize that. So so Penang is the state that's divided basically in two. About about a third of it is on the mainland. Uh, which is the peninsular Malaysia, and then, and then about two thirds are is the island itself, wow. and then Georgetown is the capital, and um, and then we're on a suburb called Tanjung Tokong, um, and just hundred yards from the beach, not even uh, from the beach, fifty yards from the beach, yeah. And um, so Georgetown is the capital, and especially. Georgetown, there is a, a district, the, what they call it, the Old Town, or mm -hmm. we, we visited that yesterday, and it's a great place. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, so it has this, uh, this area with uh, no high-rises there. It's all old buildings that are from the colonial era, because I think they had the, uh, the British here, right? Mm. Until yeah. the, uh, the British founded it. Yeah, founded so, it. The, so the story, this is kind of fun, the story is that uh, it was in the 17, I don't know the exact dates, but in the 1700s, uh, this, uh, uh, it was the British East India Company. Uh, they came over this area looking for trading areas and setting up outposts for trade. And, um, and they, they found Penang. It was, a, it was a basically a deserted island. It was all jungle. And legend, I don't know how true it is, but they, uh, so Commander Light, they wanted this, uh, this to settle on this island. And so he put gold coins in a cannon 
and shot it into what is now Georgetown and said, anybody that uh, can find a coin can have it. And, and so they, they would clear the land looking for these gold coins. Now, again, I don't know if that's legend or if it's true or whatever, um, but, uh, but they settled it. And then the, so the Brits actually settled it. Uh, and then uh, I don't know if there was any sort of a, a, uh, a native presence here. At the, I, I've heard that there wasn't. I heard there was nobody, but I don't know if that's, again, I, I'm just hearing all this secondhand. But one of the cool things is that uh, over the years, uh, Penang was sort of in, in competition with Singapore. And they had, there was three cities that they wanted, that the, that the British East India Company wanted to make as their major port city for the Straits of Malacca. They looked at uh, Malacca, they looked at, uh, at Singapore, and they looked at Penang. And it came down to Penang and Singapore, and Singapore won out as the main British port city. And, and so we're all sad about that to this day. <laughs> it was a it was a free trade zone before uh, Penang. I think was uh, it was like a free trade, like Singapore was. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's the airport is still yeah. a, a free trade zone, mm -hmm. from what I understand. I think that there's also some kind of Portuguese influence here. I mean, the Portuguese were definitely in Malacca, right? It yeah. Was like a yeah. Portuguese colony, but I mean, we were in the in the center of Georgetown yesterday, uh -huh. and we had those pastries which look a bit like the Portuguese pastéis de nata. Mm -hmm. If you know what I mean, yeah. which is those tarts, yeah, yeah. with tart. cream I, custard, and yeah. they them with eggs, but they're very similar. So yeah, they reminded a little bit me of sure. yeah. it's like Lisbon, <laughs> yeah. a bit right, right. Yeah. <laughs> with the old buildings also. It's yeah, kind of. I mean, it's classic, beautiful downtown area, just gorgeous. I'm, it's just a really fun to walk through and photograph. Yeah. So may, right. maybe Pete, what did we see uh, yesterday when we were walking around? Uh, center of Georgetown. There's a, yeah. It's kind of a touristy place now because there's a lot of uh, European American tourists, Australians probably, young mm -hmm. people, backpackers, hostels and bars and cafes and places where they sing, but there's still a lot of still traditional yeah. way of living, people working, doing their crafts and uh, the markets and so on. Yeah. Right? Well, we saw so much. Um, <laughs> we walked all over the city. As you know, we left at like nine in the morning yeah. and finish, I think, in five in the afternoon. Like Georgetown that. isn't very big, so you can see it in a day pretty much. But um, yeah, we went to see the noodle noodle shop maker. Yeah, they That's make, where you they had make those noodles in yeah. behind in a glass enclosure. You can see how they make noodles. Yeah. And then you, you order and then make, make them for you on, on the spot. Right. We saw the wicker chair, the guy making wicker the wicker chair. chairs, a guy um, who was repairing the Tri Shaws. Yeah. Um, what else? We saw the temple, the Sister Goddess of Mercy mm -hmm. temple. The, right? We saw the uh, the um, Josh stick maker. Josh stick. Oh, and one interesting thing about this is this is a very multicultural uh, and multi ethnic place, right? Because aside from the Westerners, which are here like us as tourists or expats, in the case of Matt, uh, there are lots of cultures which are somewhat already settled here, if not native. So maybe you can uh, explain what's the uh, cultural and ethnic mix of this land. Uh, right? uh, well, the, it's, uh, there's Chinese. This is the largest uh, Chinese, um, what, would you, what do you call it? Uh, presence in a, and then it's yeah. a, a Chinese majority in, in Penang right. and no other state in Malaysia. There's also, I think there are like 55 percent maybe or something 60, 60. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's some Indian I think about 10 percent are Indian um, and then there are of course the the Malays the the ethnic Malays who um, yeah so uh, but even though they're Indian and Chinese their families have been here for generations it's not like they're just suddenly came here so no, they're yeah, they're Malaysian they're, they're as Malaysian, well yes I think that's something that a lot of people don't they're, realize they're not immigrants in the sense right, that right. I, mean, the, the, I think the Indians were brought over by the British mm -hmm. to work here, so they're yeah. more, well, the Chinese, more recent... Uh, the Chinese were as well. They also came yeah. over to, yeah, to work in the shops, and yeah. I think, and... Yeah, I, I, they, I, they, I they actually don't know the details jobs. of all yeah. that, but I know that um, the a lot of the Hokkien, or the Chinese, um, 
and they so they still speak Hokkien, which is actually a, a, a language apparently fading, and and so that there's a, a push among the Hokkien community to to keep that language it's alive, a dialect, things like that, like yeah. a dialect of Chinese. Or and uh, but there, um, and then there's a but then there's an interesting culture that's called the Nonya culture, which is. I'm sure it's more complicated than this, but if you ask someone kind of what is it, they'd basically say it's a Malay-Chinese mix. Um, and so, you, but they have a, a it's, it's uniquely Malaysian, and, and I think even in some ways Penang. Uh, and it's, uh, it's got a, just a, a really interesting cultural heritage to it. And, and um, you go into these old houses and they're they're just there's a mix of Chinese and colonial and Malay and and it's just they're absolutely gorgeous in fact I think that's the place where you were staying yeah. the Blue Mansion is one of those yeah I just want to, to mention that uh, sorry about the mansion mansion <laughs> we're staying at this place it's called uh, the Blue Mansion or I think in, in Chinese it's called Chiang Fatze I hope I'm pronouncing it right and this was originally a mansion of a rich Chinese uh, trader's family or something like that. It was built, I don't even know when. Uh, a gazillion years ago. More, more than a century ago. And it's called the Blue Mansion because all the walls are painted this deep blue, which might come from flowers. I mean, they, they take this, these flowers, they have this indigo color, and they uh, extract some paint for it, and they use the, so the beautiful mansion, all decorated, uh, with those blue walls. It's, it's really an amazing place. It's a hotel and it's also a museum. So you can go in and, and visit on a, on a tour. Uh, another thing I wanted to, to say is that, well, of course, those communities have been here for hundreds of years, so they're not immigrants anymore. They're part of the cultural mix of what makes this place so, so rich. And it's also the, the mix of religions, right? Because most of the Malays are Muslim. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Indians are Hindi, Hindu, and uh, uh, the Chinese are Tao or other mm -hmm. forms of Chinese religions and so on. Actually, and they all coexist quite peacefully, right? Right. Yeah, relatively. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, there's actually, the Malays are, I mean, the, the Indians are, uh, and the Chinese are actually a little bit more diverse. You have, you have quite a few Indians that are, um, um, I think, uh, Mamak or they're they're Muslim uh, uh -huh. and and so you have a but they're Muslim they're not converted here by by Malays they're they were Muslims in mm -hmm. India and they came over and and they retain their Muslim uh, heritage so that's a it's whereas they're they're that Indian ethnic group they're very different um, culture than the than the Hindu group that you'd see at Taipusam or something like that and then the and then there's uh, a significant uh, Christian population of, of Indians and Chinese as well. And then you have some, well, you might say Buddhist, but you're right. Most of the Chinese are what they call Taoist or Taoist. Yeah, we also see uh, so um, a Buddhist temple, a Tibetan Buddhist temple mm -hmm. here, and at our churches there is just uh, mm -hmm. a Catholic church right. just uh, beside our hotel here. There's some Sikhs and you as can well. See, yeah, yeah. You didn't see yeah. any Sikhs but I'm sure there must yeah, be some. Then you got mosques and uh, yep. maybe there's right. even a synagogue, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> actually I think there may be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know but I think I've heard that there is. But yeah, you got just about everything. It's, it's rich, rich culture. It's, it's really rich and so it's so so great to, to come here and photograph and Another thing is that the people here are very friendly and very open to be photographed. Yes, yeah. friendly. And yeah. I really, really love having their photograph taken. Or never object to it. Despite there's not really any restrictions either in the culture or by the government. Like you can kind of walk around freely and photograph what you want. Even if you have a drone, you can fly your drone, <laughs> and um, it's it's pretty. It's a pretty laid back place to to photograph. Yeah. Yeah. And the center is great with all this big, old, a bit dilapidated buildings. And Matt says, was, we were talking yesterday, he loves the, the patina here in some of the places. They're, they're cleaning it up a little bit, maybe in places, but still, we've got those great doors, painted wooden doors with decorations. Right. They make for a great backdrop if you see somebody nicely dressed or uh, passing in front of them. 
it's a, it's a great place to, to shoot. The, I hope the you're going to splice Georgia. in your pictures that you've been taking throughout yeah. this video because you've got some really good ones of all these doors and, yeah, and kids I'm, standing I'm planning in front to, of to shoot more doors. Uh, this this is the last day that I'm here, so I'm going to shoot, try to shoot more doors and maybe do a little. So if someone visits Penang, would you suggest they be here longer than two days? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we didn't know what to expect, so we just planned two days because uh, looking at what's on the guides, uh, you don't see a lot, right? Okay, monuments and buildings and temples and churches. Yeah, there's a few nice things, but uh, if you're just here for that. Uh, maybe two days are, are okay. Uh, if you want to go deeper and start getting in touch and learning about all those cultures and so on, definitely uh, a longer stay is warranted. I'm, I'm really wanting to to come back here and and spend more time because it's, it's such an amazing place. I, I expected it to be good, but I didn't expect it to be so great. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the, the city. And one thing that I'm doing, I'm just staying here in, in Georgetown. But the rest of the island is some, some great places. There's mountains, there's yeah. jungle. Maybe right. you can tell us a bit what's, what, yeah. what else can we find here. Um, on the other side of the island, it's very quiet. It's like a countryside type place. It's very um, green and not as developed. There's really not much to do over there, although if you're into uh, landscape photography, it's a good place to uh, do a little astrophotography, although it's not the best destination in Asia to, to see the stars. There's a lot of light pollution, but mm -hmm. um, there's also a national park up um, in the corner of the island, which is, I think, the smallest national park in Malaysia and maybe even the smallest in Asia but it's just like a jungle so you could walk through and there's a few little beaches that you could go to um so yeah. those are kind of my two favorite parts it's How about you yeah so so the islands if you look at the map the island is set up it looks like a turtle kind of like four legs and a sort of a head knob mm -hmm. and a tail knob and uh and georgetown is up in the upper uh northeast side of the island as you go around the island, there's a, oh, the island has a, a, a mountain range that goes through it, but it's, it's actually not in the center. It's more sort of at an angle off to the, to the east side of it. And so the, the west side of the island, uh, coming down off the mountain, it gets sort of flat and you have uh, rice paddies and, um, and some, some jungle, but then long stretches of beaches and, um, and then but as, as Pete said, it's not developed for tourism. It's, it's, it's very kampong, uh, which is a Malaysian word for village. Uh, so it's a very, very much village life. Um, it has uh, more of a, a Malay or Muslim presence on that side of the island than you have in Georgetown and, and Tanjung Tokong and Tanjung Bunga areas. Uh, still very, very friendly, very uh, welcoming people. Um, the... Uh, there's uh, a lot of, of farms and uh, you'll find that's where a lot of the durian is grown. Penang is known for having the best durian in, well, some people say in, a, in the world. Um, and I personally think so, I'm a big durian fan. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, so durian's a, a, a very disputed fruit. Um, and, uh, but it's, but it's it becomes quite a tourist attraction. And, and I guess we should talk about the fact that one of the big tourist attractions for Penang uh, is food. Uh, oh, yeah. Food, Penang is, a, uh, is known as a food haven, heaven, uh, all kinds of describe, descriptions are out there for its, uh, uh, for its, its uh, food culture. And, but it's it's specifically known for uh, sort of these this hybrid uh, mix of Chinese, Malaysian, and Indian food, and so it's um, uh, and and so you have this uh, hawker stalls, street food. It's and people will fly. And I, I'm not kidding. Yeah. People fly from Hong Kong and other places in Asia five hours just for a weekend to eat in Penang. And then they'll fly back home. So we'll we talk more about food specifically, but first um, before I, I forget, today is September 4. I don't know where we're going, when we're going to, to publish this, or when you're watching or listening to this, it will be later into September. But today, when we're recording this, is September 4. And 
I arrived here two days ago, that was September the 2nd, which was kind of a mistake. Uh, I mean, I, I could not really arrange my trip differently, but uh, there is a great event that happens every year, which is the Georgetown Festival mm -hmm. here, which ends on September the 2nd. This year, the last day was September the 2nd, mm -hmm. so I completely missed it. <laughs> <laughs> and you also told me that the durian season, by this time of the year, is already over. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's worth coming a little bit earlier than that to, to get there. We still managed to uh, get the night of the 2nd of September, was the last day of the Georgetown Festival. It was also the day of the, uh, was that the Penang International Food Festival. And part of it is the Penang Street Food Festival. So there was a, a street uh, or a couple of streets in the center of the city where they had these uh, stalls out and you can just walk, they closed it to traffic and get street food uh, with lots of people around and music playing and so on. So that's, uh, that's a great event, probably the uh, best time of the year to come here, at least for events and, and things like that. And you had a chance to learn how to make it. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. And speaking of food, uh, let's just give a shout out to sure. cooking with Alu. <laughs> What's cooking with Let Alu? You you tell him. I I haven't taken the course yet. <laughs> <laughs> I will. So Alu is just uh, Matt's wife, who has a cooking school, right? Mm -hmm. And she she I'm here with my wife, and we took uh, just this morning we took this class with with Alu. We went to a local market. We did our shopping for groceries, and noodles, vegetables and so on, and then we, we came uh, to do their place to do a little cooking. We learned to make uh, spring rolls, and we learned to make uh, charcuterie uh, tao. Tiao. Charcuterie tiao. Yeah, very yeah, good. Which is kind of noodles with uh, vegetables, egg, and you can add in uh, a little bit of, uh, maybe if you like, bacon, or... Um, the pork shrimp. sausage. Pork, shrimp. Uh, pork sausage and use oyster sauce and soy sauce to uh, spice it up a little bit. You can add some chili sauce, uh, lots of vegetables, bean sprouts, and so on. Did I forget some, no, some ingredients yeah. probably? But yeah, shrimps. Yeah. So you yeah. made it. So, we so now you're going to open your hawker stall now. Yeah, I can open my hawker stall in Milan, Italy, and sell <laughs> Malay food and <laughs> see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, good. I want to add one thing about uh, the festivals. Yeah. So since there's these three main religions here, you have so many religious festivals oh here. Oh my goodness, yeah. All the time, like uh, Thai Pusam is a big one. Um, right in August, I think actually the best time to visit Penang is the month of August. Like you said, there's the Georgetown Festival, which is by far the biggest festival in Penang. But they also have... Um, some photography, um, not workshops, but um, exhibi exhibits, exhibits during yeah. the Georgetown Festival. But if you're a photographer, you really want to come here in August because there's the Obscura Camera Festival or Photography Festival, which is the last two weeks of August, uh, about more or less the last two weeks. So if you come here in August, or especially the last two weeks, you could catch both festivals. And the Obscura Festival is fantastic mm -hmm. um, and there's a and at, in the middle of august generally although it has to do with the moon but um you also have a uh a taoist festival called uh hungry ghost mm -hmm. which goes for a whole month and, and you saw that uh, yeah. we saw that yesterday yeah. so i'm setting up the, the the little mini temple yeah. with the it's god there makeshift yeah. temple and then going to to burn the statue of the right. hungry ghost mm -hmm. Again, after we leave, so just <laughs> so if you're coming here to Penang, you don't have to come here in August, but you should if you're into shooting, um, you know, festivals and that type of thing. There's many religious festivals, so I'd just look on the calendar and plan your trip to coincide with either one of the the city or island festivals and or the one of the religious festivals because they're great to photograph. They're really incredible. I think the Chinese New Year is really big here. Is it? Yes, uh, somewhat. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty. It's pretty. I mean, it's it's it's. I think it's very colorful here. I don't know compared to China. I've never gone there during the Chinese New Year, but I mean, it's, it's certainly there's a lot of lanterns around here. There's a lot of uh, dragon or uh, uh, lion dances and uh, dragon dance and different things. And so there's also a big temple called Keklok Si, and they have it's filled with. Um, 
the uh, lanterns, but they shoot fireworks from it for mm -hmm. one night. And I actually did a, a video, a YouTube video about it, so I'll send that to you so you could link to it in the I, show I, notes. I will definitely will so people can, <laughs> can see it. Oh yeah, another thing about the, the Chinese New Year, I was told about that by my friend Sui Ho, who is native from Penang, but now she lives in San Francisco. But she says that she always comes back to, to visit family for the New Year hmm. here. So that's uh, lots of people that gravitate around this area. Yes, yeah. It's great to, to meet. And, and I, another thing, speaking about photographers, something that might interest photographers, and it definitely interested us and kept us engaged for at least one hour, was visiting the, the camera museum. Mm -hmm. right, right, that was Which really good. It's a very small museum. It's just one large room with filled with all old cameras and, and stuff. That, and and it, the nice thing is that not all of them are inside those uh, glass boxes. Some of them, they're actually out and you can touch them. So mm -hmm. with photos, we use the little brownie cameras and we right. view big view cameras. I was, actually, I was actually pleasantly surprised about that museum. Me too. I, I, I kind of thought it would be... Um, I mean, I have been to some museums uh, in in Malaysia and other countries that are rather, you know, like typed out labels and things like that, and it's just not that impressive. But this one was done really well, and the young lady that was yep. the curator really knew her stuff. Uh, she got all excited about different things, and and uh, oh, she, oh, you got you got to see this. If you're a photographer, you're gonna love this. This is the very first camera that did whatever, yeah. you know, and uh, and it was really fun. Yeah. She was very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. So, and Pete, as you said, this is like uh, really centrally positioned. So I know yeah. you, you travel quite a lot around. I yeah. remember seeing some videos that you did in, in Thailand, in Bangkok, in Kuala yeah. Lumpur, and other places. So what's yeah. your favorite places to go around here? Where, and how far are they? So yeah, um, there's so many. Um, I really like Indonesia a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, Suma not Sumatra, um, Java. Java? the landscape there i kind of call it the the iceland of the tropics of asia because the landscapes are just so huge they have volcanoes uh what's the volcano called there bromo, bromo. mount bromo yeah there's like a thousand volcanoes it's incredible <laughs> yeah. yeah there's another one there's a one actually right next to it pick but, a mile um, there'll be a volcano yeah. there Samero, i think is big yeah. yeah i mean if you've never seen like a live volcano with the smoke spewing out it's just it's a sight to see. Um, the, so the landscapes are just huge, massive, huge waterfalls. And so if you love landscape photography, Indonesia is incredible. Um, there's a great little island next to um, Bali called Nusa Penida, mm -hmm. which is, has a really kind of raw feel to it. Same thing, the landscapes look almost prehistoric. Um, where else? I really like going to Thailand, to Bangkok is great for cityscape photography. Singapore is awesome. And for sure, my, my favorite cityscape location is Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, there's, they have more uh, skyscrapers there than anywhere else in the world. So Hong Kong is a, is a bit farther away. It's about four hours away. But I mean, sometimes you can get a ticket from, if you take, for example, AirAsia, for about 50 US dollars, you can go from here to Hong Kong. And that's a cheaper price. Some, it's, could yeah. be like a hundred or whatever, but still you can, if you look in advance, I mean, to go round yeah. trip to Hong Kong for a hundred bucks is air, air crazy. Travel, yeah. Air travel in Asia is, I, I think it's cheaper than other places in the world. Uh, maybe I just haven't traveled in other places in the world enough, but I, I just feel like you can really get around here. Yeah, you, you can. I mean, right. I'm from Europe, so I know that traveling in Europe can be cheap right. if you plan wisely, but mm -hmm. here is even cheaper. I mean, just this trip alone in two weeks we're taking six flights within this region here right. only just because yeah we want to go like tomorrow we're going to to Angkor in Cambodia and exactly. I just said well where, where we can go from Penang oh let's see where is cheap to go it's only one hour flight and it's uh, another thing is hundred yeah. dollars you can you can travel by boat so you can take a boat three hours from here to Langkawi Island and then you're right on the border with Thailand and then you can take a boat from Langkawi across to Kolanta no not Koilanta. Koilanta. and then from there there's a ferry system which goes up the Gulf of Thailand and you can go all the way up to Phuket so you could go island hopping mm -hmm. on these little ferries 
which I did. It was amazing. And you could spend two weeks just island hopping through the Gulf of Thailand going to all these incredible islands, not to mention the islands that are here in Malaysia as well. But from Penang, you could take a boat up to Phuket if you wanted to, which yeah. I've done. So cool. there's really just a ton of options. And it's all within hours of Penang. That's right. the cool thing. Right. Right. And you tend to travel a bit more farther away. I know you've been to places like Mongolia. You're going to, you've been to India many times, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, India is like... Which is still close. Maybe, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's about a... It depends on where you go in India. Four, four and a half hour flight, something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, we, we go to the Philippines a lot because my wife is Filipina. And uh, we go to India at least once, sometimes two, three times a year. We go to India running workshops there. Um, uh, I've ran workshops up in Mongolia from here. That was actually... I was actually surprised how easy it was to get there from here. Uh, it was uh, only one stop that was in Hong Kong, and then the other flight was directly into Mongolia, uh, into Ulaanbaatar. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, but I, I'm with Pete. I mean, there's so much just within, I mean, if you drew a one-hour flight circle kind of around Penang, there's so much to see. Yeah. I mean, you can go to, you can go to Vietnam, you can go to Cambodia, Thailand, Laos, uh, Indonesia, Myanmar. Borneo, Myanmar. Right. Um, I don't know about, about an hour away from Myanmar, but um, right. but um, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, one of the before our daughter left to go to university um, in the states, we wanted to do a family trip. We went down to uh, down to uh, what was the name of the island? can't think off the top of my head it's a it's actually a, like a portuguese well yeah but it was a, Timor. the the island portuguese. is a portuguese name um Timor. flores ah flores and uh, flores and um, and so we stayed in flores and we took a um a uh a stay liveaboard boat for three days i guess and we went to the komodo islands and and saw the komodo dragons and then we went uh snorkeling with the manta rays and and some of the best snorkeling i've seen around i mean a lot of the reefs in the world are just getting trashed out you know but um uh but this part of the area is is uh, there are some reefs that have, they've really taken care of and, it, and it's really beautiful so but let's talk a bit about your workshop in uh, in india next one is it in sure. varanasi uh, yeah, yeah the next one is varanasi as of this day the fourth we have one spot yeah. left so Hopefully, by the time this airs, there won't be any spots left. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, I co-run this with uh, Pete Vandenaden. Oh, I'm sorry, Pete. Um, I, I've known this guy for like eight years, and I still struggle to say his last name. He, uh, he was uh, Pete Van den Einde, I think. Van den Einde. And he was a guest on, yeah. on the yeah. show as well. Of few episodes ago and, and, and it, it's gotten to be this like running joke and everything uh, but but I really I don't know I just have a hard time saying his name but anyway Pete uh, not this Pete the other Pete, Another Pete. yeah and uh, or as some people read it because it's spelled P-I-E-T -E they say Piet but it's Pete anyway uh, he's like this off-camera flash guru I mean he's amazing with off-camera flash and uh, and Lightroom actually as well and so uh, I had been running workshops uh, in India for a long time, and, and um, Pete was bugging me to let him come on one as a as a co-leader and stuff. So, I I we did one, worked real well, invited him back, and since then we've been doing them together uh, every year, uh, sometimes two times a year, um, and. Uh, the focus has has changed over the years from just sort of travel street photography now to uh, more formal sort of master class type stuff looking at uh, lighting off-camera lighting uh, using rather large 600 watt uh, Godox lights with the uh, big you know uh, 90 centimeter 120 centimeter uh, uh, SMDB soft boxes and stuff and um, uh, it's quite the production, but the, the images that we get out of this are, they're just amazing. I mean, they're just, they're, they're like nothing you've seen before because it's all controlled light and everything. And 
Um, and we we've, we work with a local fixer who we've known for a few years now, and he knows how we work, and so he actually goes ahead of us uh, a few weeks in advance and arranges uh, sadhus and other people and shops and locations for us, and he gets it all secured for us, and it's all included in the price. I mean, you know, we don't expect these people to to model, if you will, for us for free. So we. Um, and um, now there, we've got criticism. People said, "Oh, that's not street photography," and you know, and you know how we respond to that? It's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Absolutely right. It's not. That's not what it is. And uh, and so, if you want street photography, then you need to go on a street photography workshop. And and I've run those, uh, but that's not what this is. Um, and uh, this is for people that want to to work on their lighting skills and and do it in a in an amazing environment with incredible faces and, and really cool stuff. Yeah, going a little bit beyond uh, casual portrait on the street and so on. Yeah, still I mean, we great. do those. We still do those casual portraits on the street. But, but if we have time, the whole point of the workshop is can we light it? Yeah. You know, and so we usually use only one light, though there are occasions where we've used two. Uh, I don't think we've ever gotten beyond two. Uh, but we usually just use a simple one light. It's not so simple in that it's it's anywhere from the uh, Godox, what is eighty two hundred, uh, up to the to the six hundred, um, and and so it's it we the whole point is that we're shooting these in broad daylight with sun, and we're offsetting the sun. We're actually we're using the sun as a as a as a backlight, yep. as a rim light, and then our kicker, and then we're using these big flash as our as our main light it's it's fun i mean um I, i'm assuming we'll put some of those pictures in here as well and you yeah, can see those just so. send them over i think uh okay got some from from pete as well the other pete yeah on his episode but yeah just send, send some pictures we'll sure we'll put them in we'll put a link and in case uh, when you are listening or watching this there is still a spot left uh, you do well to to join Pete's and uh, Matt's mm -hmm. worshiping and, and, and we run it every year. So, yeah. so if it, not this year, not next this year, maybe next. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about business. Um, so, are workshops your main uh, source of income, in photographically speaking, nowadays? And do you find it's becoming that way? It didn't used to be. Um, do you find it easy to to run? I mean, to organize them to from here? Is the world? connected and global enough that you can find clients everywhere, even working from your home in Penang. Okay, now we're going to get serious, huh? Uh -huh. We're, we're not talking about tourism anymore, now we're into no. the serious stuff of photography. Matt takes off his glasses. Yes, now. <laughs> Let me talk to you about this. Let me tell you. When I start pointing with my glasses, we get serious. Um, I, I think, you know, this is so maybe we should also say that we we three meet with Pete and uh, two other photographers every week on a Thursday on uh, yeah. on, on a uh, what's it called a mastermind mastermind, mastermind group. group. Yeah. So it's it's I like to say it's like a peer to peer mentoring type of thing where we coach each other on business and different things like that and and it seems like it's a theme is that is that how to keep your head above water in in this business and uh, and you know what. One of the things is that if if, um, if you're running freelance, then you've got to keep that that thing that you do forefront, and you've got to keep finding customers because a customer can be a customer once a year, twice a year, uh, rarely much more than that, and so you you need a lot of customers to be able to to do that. So you either have to be selling eBooks or video courses or or photos and stock stuff and or doing workshops or, or things like this and for me uh, you know uh, my desire has always been to shoot assignment work for for magazines and things like this and frankly it pays okay um, and but it's it, the, the it's it's the old adage it's great work when you can get it and because it's just not there all the time and so I feel like I'm supplementing my photography with my my career choice if you will with photo workshops 
I feel like the the stuff you know, like I've had stuff published in National Geographic, the the Yellow Magazine. I've had it done in Traveler. Uh, I've had it in Asia Geographic. All these kind of magazines, and I feel like that gives me credibility to to sell a workshop. Um, but um, and and I think the the workshops themselves. All right, we we were talking uh, Ugo, that that one of our big uh, clients are repeat customers because they they like the workshop. We have people that have taken the same work this year. We've got a couple that's coming back on the workshop that have done the same exact masterclass before. Um, so apparently they like it, yep. you know. So um, so they never get enough. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, but my I mean to the same location even. So, but my. I think where I'm getting at is that um, that even with that, you still have to figure out a way to get that word out into the world. You have to figure out how to market yourself, all that kind of stuff. And I think for for me, yes, uh, it, it's shifting from from where it was uh, uh, assignment type stuff and working for nonprofits is has shifted, and now it's really going towards more workshops, but. I can make good money with workshops and make a living at it, but I've got to make, I have to do a lot of these workshops. And so to get the word out is, that's always been my big struggle, is, mm -hmm. is how do I tell the world, hey, I've got this great workshop and it's available and you're going you're gonna to love it. People always like to come back to our workshops, but you've got to come out and try it. Mm -hmm. What about you, Pete? How do you find it? Is uh, your difficult? working with uh, as a travel photographer mm -hmm. uh, here in Asia? Yeah, I think that, um, well, I'm much more at the start of my mm -hmm. process as a photographer. I, I quit my job uh, about two and a half years ago to really go full-time into photography. And yeah, I've found it a lot harder than I thought it was gonna be. Um, it's kind of like Matt said, I think. <laughs> Remember when you first got here and you said, yeah. I'm going to be a travel photographer. I was like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. It's like, oh, come on. You're being a pessimist. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah, okay, it is a little hard. Right. So I actually listened to Matt's podcast, and his podcast, I think, was one of the reasons I quit my job. Oh, great. It's my fault. Because <laughs> he's always interviewing people and asking them about, you know, how did you make it happen? Right. How did you, in your podcast, uh -huh. like, how did you, how did you become a successful photographer and so on? How do you make a living at it? And... I think for me, the biggest challenge is just really finding, you know, what is it that I want to focus my energy on? Um, you know, what, what brings me enjoyment or fulfillment in, as a photographer? Um, so in the beginning and even still now, I've been focusing more on online kind of stuff. So um, like I launched a landscape photography course last summer, which I sell online and on my website. Um, and I've focused a lot on building my email list and sending out newsletters and just having a way to connect with people. Um, but I also find that that pulls me away from kind of the real world experience of being out in the world and meeting people and taking them on tours or whatever, you know, or workshops or meeting people in the real world. It's a lot of time at home behind your computer, which is not really why I signed up to do photography. So for me, it's been a process of just kind of finding what it is that I enjoy um, and how can I fit that into, you know, my own natural um, character, the things that I like and make that match up with photography. So you would say you're more of an extrovert people person? So yes. Yeah. Well, I was a teacher before. Yeah. And so I just, I really enjoy being with people, being in front of a class and being out. And actually my initial idea was to, to do tours. I've done, um, you know, I've sold my photos as stock photography. Um, I've writ written for magazines and sold my photos, done stories for, for magazines. But at a certain point, I didn't like um, creating content for other people for magazines or, or whatnot and um, as I traveled I you know to Dubai or to Malaysia or Singapore or wherever I realized that there's so many uh, people who are just in love with photography and so I kind of shifted my focus from creating content with my work for 
editors or whatever to uh, helping to teach other photographers, people who are like the same things that I do. So, and naturally I enjoy teaching. So for me, that was a fit. And now mm. it's just kind of a process of, you know, trying different things, seeing what works and what doesn't. And so. Cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about gear. I mean, this is not, a, this show is not a, typically about gear and equipment and so on, but you, do you still shoot with Fujifilm? No, I no. shoot with Sony. I'm just with laughing Sony. because you two guys yesterday, oh, for, if Sony you weren't here, Anathema. <laughs> if you Anathema. yesterday they were uh, just going back and forth about their cameras and exchanging lenses, and they both uh, Matt and Ugo shoot Fuji. So I just had my iPhone, so I felt a little left out because you guys were like <laughs> this and that, and look at this. Well, and good, you had your you iPhone, not really your Sony. Then yeah. we would have been like, oh, does your Sony do this? Or you said, <laughs> We don't know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we can still be friends. Yes. Be friends. Yes. So, can we talk about your uh, the camera that we have in, in front this of guy? you a little bit? Because sure. As I said, as of today, it's not been officially announced. But by the time this episode goes out, oh, wait, it would have been let it would me been old news already. Let me tear this off. I don't think that will dun, show on the video. Dun, I know. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go dun, up. Dun, Oh, come on. <laughs> okay. And da -da. it's the <laughs> X-T3, yeah. codename Poseidon. Ooh. Um, Is it really? I, it, I don't know if they have the code names for different locations, but okay. at least in Malaysia, yeah. that was the code name. All yeah. Right. yeah. Um, I guess all cameras, they, when they develop them, they always use a code name, because if they say like X-T3, then the emails and things, sure, you know, yeah. somebody's going to yeah. slip. If they slip with Poseidon, then people go, what? Okay. You know? But anyway, so yeah, so, um, so we've got the X-T3, which by the time we see this, it'll be released. It's coming out on uh, this Thursday. Um, it's, a, it's a cool little camera, um, but I tell you what, it's hard to get stats on this thing <laughs> to, to tell you about it. But uh, so what do you want to know? It's, it's uh, it's, it's, it's the successor to the X-T2. It's the successor to the X-T2. What makes yeah, it a step up is it's got a, a BSA, BSI sensor, which is a new sensor. It's some sort of a backlit sensor that uh, allows for faster focus, faster exposure. It, it's similar, and, and please don't quote me on this, I'm not a tech person. Conceptually, as far as what it will help do, it's supposed to be similar like a stack sensor in that a stack sensor uh, allows for more data to be transferred to the, to the processor and, and, and everything. But uh, the, so the, the gains of using the BSI sensor is, um, are supposed to be similar. We're supposed to focus quicker, we're supposed to have uh, better um, uh, exposure um, I think, quicker. I think, don't, don't quote me on that, I think this shoots like 20 frames per second in burst mode. That's a movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically, yeah. Shooting stills. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I've enjoyed it, it's been good. Um, but, so one of the other upgrades to this is, and I do like this, uh, I do a little bit of video, not much, but um, uh, this shoots 4K at 60 frames, yeah. uh, which is, really nice and that's uh, a barrier that, that at least Fuji has not been able to break up until now. Well I think maybe the most interesting thing that you have in your hand that is more innovative than uh, the, the camera itself is let, let's hope by the time this, this goes out that has been announced as well because we're not really <laughs> There'll sure be a about big gap in the editing. The <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise well it's the, it's the lens. So what's yeah. that lens? So this is the, uh, the Fuji 8 to 16, 2.8. It's a aspherical. I don't know what a nano GI is yet, but um, it's the magic. yeah, it's a voodoo. Um, and um, now it's interesting. Um, this is yeah, it, this is it's got it's got sort of that that same sort of lens that a that a super wide, almost like a fisheye lens yeah. has. Uh, where you, you, you're not going to be able to put a standard filter on it or anything like that. It's quite bulbous. Um, you know, for an 
eight. Uh, can you do the math? What would an eight be in a crop sensor? I'm not 14. very good. Twelve. 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 Make up your mind. What is it? So twelve or eight? Isn't that one point five multiplied yeah. by one point five? Exactly. It's eight twelve. Times like 1. I said, twelve. 12. Like you said, twelve. <laughs> yeah, we said twelve. <laughs> Come on, Hugo. <laughs> so, so, um, but you know, for a twelve millimeter on a thirty-five millimeter eight here, um, you expect a lot of distortion, and and I will tell you that on the edges there is distortion. However. Um, I, I am surprised at, um, the, 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 it seems to be under control, I guess you could say. Like I was shooting, I was shooting some uh, little Buddhas yesterday all in a row in straight lines and I just put it straight on there. And, and the, the lines themselves all were very straight and everything. Um, uh, the, you could see definitely some sort of fanning out as it got out to the edges and stuff. Yeah. but. Um, uh, but it's it's interesting. Have you, you tried the lens correction in Lightroom to see if it uh, Lightroom how it works well it, with the distortion? The, you mean in the sense of Lightroom that it, it, light, in other words, Lightroom it's too new for Lightroom to recognize it as a and okay. Lightroom doesn't even recognize most of the Fuji lenses no, for whatever reason. Really? Yes. I don't, <laughs> so you know, why is that? I'll tell you because <laughs> it's like a frequently asked question. <laughs> the, the lenses, the Fuji lenses, when you import the raw files in Lightroom, mm -hmm. uh, they're auto-corrected. So the correction parameters you don't need it are in the file itself. So okay. normally with Light Lightroom, you would recognize the lens and apply correction parameters that are stored in the Lightroom database. So if you use a Sony lens. Yeah. Lightroom knows that the Sony 70-200 f2.8, whatever, uh, needs uh, plus 4 of uh, right. pin cushion distortion, right. and so on and so forth. And it knows that because it has a database of lenses. That parameter, which tells the software how to correct for geometric distortions and so on, in the case of Fuji files, it's in the file itself. Mm -hmm. So for, the, for a specific lens right. Fuji knows and stores that information in the file. Not just the lens model, but also the correction parameters. And Lightroom applies them immediately without you having to do anything. You cannot even disable that for whatever reason. Mm. Some of the Sony files are like that. Ah, Sometimes okay. it says that it has yeah. already been applied. That but that's what yeah. they want you to believe. It. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which is better. <laughs> Have you tried uh, shooting in JPEG with that lens? Because the that's I all I've been shooting is because oh. I can't read the raw file. Yet. Because the okay. camera is not there ah, yet, right, so right, right. Okay. Lightroom okay. needs an update to... Because yeah. right. if it's in JPEG, I would assume it already applies yes. the, right. the correction. No, it, it, so what you're seeing now is what you would right. get exactly. if you did put it in Lightroom. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I mean, if you did I, mean I don't the, think you're going to yeah. get... Uh, I mean, again, uh, I've learned over the years to be careful of saying absolutes because I'm not a tech person. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I am really a photographer and that's what I am. You know, I'm not a tech person, but I would be surprised you find any lens that's gonna be, you know, a 12 or an eight millimeter lens that you're not gonna see any distortion. I mean, I And it's an F2.8, I mean. You can yeah, that's really the, to me, the big thing is less about the distortion because I don't think, when you shoot this wide, you shoot with the idea there's going to be distortion. Mm -hmm. I mean, you use that distortion. You know, you you uh, you use it to to photograph a, a roll of of, uh, of 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 biscuits or something like when we were in the market yesterday. And I'm going to shoot this way to make those front biscuits huge and then go all the way back down to to nothing. You know, to create perspective and things like that. But the thing is, is that this is a 2.8. You know, that's one of the things that Fuji has done, I think, really well with their with their wide-angle lenses. You have a 16 that's a 1.4. That's a fast wide-angle. I think 2.8 at an 8 millimeter, and it's 2.8 all the way through from 16, mm -hmm. uh, 8 to 16. That's a fast. That's a fast lens at a wide-angle lens. That's so, a cool lens. Um, I think the lens is more interesting than than the camera. Probably. How's the vignetting wide open? Um, I, I mean, I just got the camera late afternoon yesterday, so um, give me a break. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't, uh, I haven't noticed it. Um, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. 
Um, so I think, Pete, you're these days, aside from Sony, you're more into drones than... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, my drone so is... You're a, flying a lot, huh? Yeah, I love the drone. Uh, I have a, the Mavic Pro, which is now the old, old version, because the new Mavic one, Pro, Mavic Pro 2, Mavic just Pro came one. out. Yeah, I have the Mavic Pro 1. Um, yeah, I love my drone a lot more than I thought I would. Um, An interesting so thing is that, I mean, like, in, in Europe, it's becoming harder and harder to fly in drones everywhere. I've Here noticed it's, that. It's I've seen really that. Easy and yeah, you can pretty much go anywhere except um, Angkor Wat. You yeah. have to, to, in the temples, you got to pay, I think it's a lot of money in well, order to get the pass to fly inside but, but Angkor Wat. But at least Wat. You, you can. I mean, you but can go to, you you go to, to the Vatican or Venice and fly right, a drone. Right, no, right. not even if you pay. Right. But yeah. in, in Asia, it's pretty much, I've, I've been to Hong Kong. Singapore. I mean, of course, there's some restrictions, but in general, people are flying everywhere. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Another great reason to to come here if you like <laughs> flying drones. Uh, I've not fly, flown mine much a lot in recent months. It's the, mostly staying in Europe because it's one for lack of time, uh, two because it's harder and harder to to fly it uh, where it's really interesting to fly it. So I, I brought it here and spent a few hours flying, especially in the islands yeah. out there, doing some great uh, seascapes from the sky. Yeah. Really had lots of fun doing it, so that's, uh, that's another great reason to, to come here. Um, okay, what else? I think, uh, I don't even know how long we've been. <laughs> uh, an hour. An hour, wow, that's a lot. So let, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, let me, well, first of all, thanks again, Matt, for uh, being not just our guest here, but also our host. We're staying in your beautiful home. Uh, let's uh, uh, give a shout out again to Alu. Uh, what's the website? Cooking Cookingwithalu.com. That's A-L-O-U. Cookingwithalu.com. Recommend it. I can recommend it personally. Me too. Cooking with Alu. Ah, I've eaten, I haven't taken her class, but I've eaten <laughs> her cooking quite a bit, and it's awesome. So. And where, where can people find you? Uh, For me, uh, just, uh, yeah, uh, you can do info at mattbrandonphoto.com or go to my website, uh, the Digital Trekker, T R E K K E R, um, and uh, just Google my name, Matt Brandon, and it comes up. Uh, are you going to do your podcast again? We're looking forward to that. I, mean, I know. I've really had people ask me to start up the podcast again. Um, we've talked about it. Um, honestly, it, it's 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 been it's been hard to do a one man show on that. And so, um, if I could, I, I, I kind of felt like if I could find someone to help me arrange guests and uh, and to handle some of the logistics, I don't mind doing interviews and editing but it's just there's a you know trying to get as you know it's difficult to get to get stacks of people up you have ready to go to their homes yeah <laughs> you have to fly to Penang exactly to um, but I don't know I it's I'm you know if, if you if you're watching this and you think yeah it was called depth of field and uh, the idea was uh, looking at working photographers and talking to the to photographers that are making a living I, let me just say that great thing about podcasts that many instances they are evergreen especially yours I and mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about photography and travel and so on not about yeah we, we spent maybe five minutes talking about this yeah, here yeah, and right. this segment will be outdated in, in six months mm -hmm. but everything else that we said stays so the, the archive of your of your podcast is still a great mm -hmm. resource for yeah i mean i mean there's and, and i i go back and listen every once in a while and go oh that that was an interesting podcast you know i mean that my i got i got better over the years at, at technical you know recording and things like that but um so uh yeah I'm, i talked with amy vitale uh i've talked with uh uh who's some of the people i talked with i don't know a bunch of bunch of pretty pretty significant names in the photography industry and um, and it's just been, I mean, like yours, I mean, but it's just been really interesting to, to go back and, and the things they have to say, it really is timeless in some ways. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll see. We'll see. I keep pushing you to do yeah. it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to listen. Uh, 
Uh, what about you, Pete? Where can people find um, about you online? Have you got any new interesting trips coming up? Yeah, uh, they can find me um, on thenomadwithin.com. Uh, that's my website. Or just on Instagram, Pete DeMarco. Or Facebook, the same. Those are the places. And I announce all my stuff there. I also have a newsletter. If anybody's interested, just go to my site and you can sign up there. So where I share some tips and, and what I'm up to if you want to follow along. You got a good newsletter. Thank you. Great. I have one too, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm subscribed to both of yours. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's really all for today. I'm really sure it's, uh, it's been a great, great episode. Yeah. Lots of fun. It's fun. And, uh, I want to come back to Penang, so maybe next year we'll, we'll do it again. Uh, if you come back to Penang, you can stay in our guest bedroom. You don't have to stay at the Blue Mansion. Okay. Stay at the White Mansion. Now that you know that I'm well behaved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're a paying customer. <laughs> so, yeah, and as for me, you can find everything about me at ucphoto.me. Is uh, my co-host, Ralph Velasco, who right now is somewhere, I think he's in Romania. Mm. Uh, right now, uh, you can find everything about Ralph at photoenrichment.com. And online as at Ralph Velasco on Twitter, Instagram, and various places. And as for our podcast, as always at ttim.photo uh, or on Facebook at the Traveling Image Makers Corner. This is our group. We every two months we have a photo contest, so you're uh, welcome to submit your photos and uh, compete for a chance to be invited on the show and talk about your photography and so on. And also you can like our Facebook page, The Traveling Image Makers, uh, give us review on Apple Podcasts and usual places and whatever. Share this with your friends. Uh, we really much would appreciate that. So that's really all for now. And now, hoping it doesn't rain, let's go out and shoot. <laughs> <laughs>